This episode is supported by the Comic Section Podcast Network. The Defender of Gotham. The Cape Crusader. The world's greatest detective. The Dark Knight. He's gone by many titles, but his name is... I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Batman is one of the most iconic fictional characters in the world. But why? What is it about this character that people like so much? I think it's time we got a little geeky. Podcast presented by Sonic Embassy. Episode 03, The Batman. Whenever I Google most popular comic book character, there's one that is consistently in the top one or two, many times number one in the search results that I get. And that, of course, is Batman. There have been twice as many years of Batman comics as years I've been alive. Uh, Okay, almost. Shut up. Uh, Countless movies, endless merchandising. You know, I haven't been to many comic conventions, but the few I have attended, I can say that one of the characters or characters universe that I see the most of cosplay and or people wearing t-shirts of is Batman. From avid comic book reader to casual movie watcher, ask a group of people who their favorite hero is and chances are someone is going to say Batman. Of course, the flip side of that is you also hear words like overrated, overused, played out, etc. Let's talk about that subject a little later. So who is Batman and what makes him such an iconic character? Well, for these episodes, I had to get the insights of two of the biggest Batman fans I personally know and one newcomer. One, I personally call him the Human Almanac slash the Human Encyclopedia. He's the owner of one of my favorite comic book shops in Charleston, South Carolina, Soundwave Comics. He is an expert whose insights I found invaluable in this discussion. Greg Woodard. My favorite comic book character is Batman. I have loved Batman since I was a little kid. As a 1970s kid, we all grew up loving Saturday morning cartoons. And I just, I I can't even remember a time when I didn't think Batman was the best thing ever. I think it was a combination of the cartoons and the fact that as a child, my parents delivered newspapers in the little town I grew up in. And every afternoon, uh, we would stop by a little convenience store. And me being a little kid, I had my choice. I could get a... Uh, icy, like a slushy. I could get a candy bar or I could pick a comic book. And by the time I was six or seven years old, I had a paper grocery bag full to the top with DC comic books and 99% of them were Batman and Detective Comics because that was my favorite. The other person whose insight I need for this discussion is an avid Batman collector with quite an impressive man cave, or should I say bat cave, that I've been one of the privileged few to have been able to see it. It's not posted anywhere on social media. And he's also a very good friend of mine, Nick. 
His collection, especially a Batman's universe, is very impressive. Oh yeah, that, that's the problem with me. Before I buy something, I have to ask myself, are you ready to follow this through? If you buy one, you gotta buy them all. And uh, so I've always been into uh, figures. Um, get, starting to, to like statues now, but really figures is always what it was with for me. Uh, you know, buying the X-Men stuff back in the, in the 90s and such. Uh, but when I, when I got into the Batman figures, what got me was uh, the Arkham Asylum figures. Uh, when I first saw those in a comic book store, they were just so beautiful. They looked exactly like the game and they were just so well done. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I got like all the Arkham figures now. Uh, but when Arkham City came out, the uh, the paint wasn't as good. It was more, and so, but that paint and sculpt on those on those figures just got me into it. And then from there, it got to be all right. I need I need them all. It's like it's like Pokemon now. I gotta gotta get all those figures. <laughs> and let's get perspective of a newer Batman fan, one I call Dream Baby Number Three, my daughter, one of my daughters. Hi, beautiful. My little shooby dooby. Wait, wait, you didn't. This isn't how it's going to start, is it? No, I don't want I don't want that to be in it. I just want you to ask me the questions. There doesn't need to be any of that. (laughs) Fine, but I don't care how old you get. I'll never stop. Okay, so you just discovered Batman. I didn't just discover him, but I've been like a fan for like two years now. (laughs) <laughs> okay so how did it start i mean I, um it started with i thought you might like the x-men right it start okay so start from the beginning it started with x-men right watched the live the live action x-men movies and i enjoyed it and then um well i guess technically it started with young justice like the from was it 2010 young justice and i started watching that and then it would, and then I stopped watching. I think I watched the first season, and I like quit. I guess it just got away from me. And then later, like a like a two two year no a year later, then was introduced to the to, into the X Men movies. Then I started watching the eighties or nineties cartoon. I don't remember which one. If it what year it was? Is it nineties or eighties? The the, the X Men cartoon. That was the '90s. Okay, so it was a '90s X-Men cartoon, and then and then I was like, oh, let me revisit Young Justice, and I was watching, it and I really enjoyed it. And then I I really loved um, Robin. I loved Dick Grayson in in the Young Justice season one and season two. I thought his character was so cute. And then then you were like, oh, since you love Robin so much, let me introduce you to the animated movies, the most recent ones. And then from there, it was just downhill. Well, the son of Batman is how it started. Downhill. Downhill. Uphill. Fine. Uphill. No, no. Wait, wait. No. No, downhill is not. T- um, I don't. I don't. I guess because going uphill is more difficult than going downhill. So I don't. I don't know. But I. I thought downhill was like. I don't know. No, downhill's right. You're right. No, you're right. I'm sorry. Okay, so now you're obsessed. Um. No. Fixation. <laughs> I must admit, I personally haven't always been a Batman fan. I mean, I did not like the character. Growing up, the overwhelming majority of cartoon heroes I thought were just okay. 
I was indifferent. Like, cool, whatever. But most didn't really connect with me, which is kind of why most of us can say we have a favorite because there's something special about them, that character, that makes them our favorite. But now, now, I feel differently. But why now? Well, in researching for this episode, I started thinking about that. I mean, Batman is by no means my favorite, but I now have a great respect for this character. So I'm like, huh? When did it change? Well, first, let's talk about the early days of this character. Batman first appeared in Detective Comics number 27, which is 1939. So last year was the 80-year anniversary. And then just a year later, he spun out in his own series in 1940 with Batman number one. And uh, we've never looked back since. he was, he was very much a dark and brooding character. Superman was, was more of the um, uh, positive, fighting for, you know, of course, truth and justice. And of course, Batman, you know, as we go along in the early comics, you didn't have um, as much detail for his origin. It was later, um, there was a creator that worked together with Bob Kane named Bill Finger. And so many of the things that we love about Batman today uh, were introduced to the character by Bill Finger. But in the early uh, comics, you just saw that he was this dark vigilante, that he was uh, waging a war on crime. Then later they established the idea and showed where his parents had been murdered and that, um, you know, he was this billionaire playboy, of course, back then, millionaire playboy. Uh, then later they introduced um, things that we know like the Batcave and, and um, of course, uh, Batman was the first superhero character to have a sidekick with Robin, which became a huge thing in the comics. If you're a Gen Xer, perhaps like me, your first memories of this character were from cartoons and maybe reruns of the TV show from the 1960s. I mean, there were those iconic zingers. Holy known unknown flying objects. Holy mechanical army. Holy one-track back computer mind. Holy understatements, Batman. The zip. Bang. Pow. Those onesie pajama costumes. <laughs> cool car, though. It was silly. It was funny. It was great. I have a younger brother. He's three years younger than me. And we were pretty much raised by our grandmother. And I remember being a little kid and, you know, you you play make-believe, you you play with your sibling. And I can remember my grandmother pinning a bath towel around my neck. I'm older and bigger. I would be Batman and she would pin a little bath towel around his neck and he had to be my Robin. He hated that, by the way. But we ran around the house and ran around the yard with Batman and Robin. and, And maybe the cartoon, I just thought it was so cool, the Batmobile. I always have loved all the different versions of the car. He had, like it says in the movies, the best gadgets, the best toys. It just was a big combination of things that just drew me to the character. And of course, 
a little later, um, as so many kids uh, of the 70s did, I discovered, my brother and I, that there was a 1960s show that was live action with Batman. And of course, that's corny now looking back on it. But as a little kid, that 60s show was the best. It was so cool, so awesome. And uh, I think no matter how old I get, it will always have a special place in my heart. Then there were the awesome Saturday morning cartoons. We all grew up loving the Super Friends. The Super Friends. It's the world's greatest Super Friends. Batman and Robin. Superman. Wonder Woman and Aquaman. I love Super Friends. And to look back on some of those cartoons today, some of them are a little cheesy, a little little goofy. But in general, there was kind of a seriousness to it. It... um, it was a fun cartoon, but there was always a, a, um, a problem that the team had to come together and solve. And, and there was definitely um, a little bit more, I feel, a seriousness to it compared to the live action show of the 60s. As we get into the late 70s and the 80s, when they did the Superpowers cartoon, it took an even more uh, serious turn. The cartoons from that series were very much... Uh, inspired by the comic books, uh, introducing new characters, uh, like Firestorm as an example, who was uh, huge in the 80s. Hey, so do you want to check out the Super Friends? I don't know. I, don't know. I haven't tried it. Uh, maybe. I mean, I watched the old X-Men cartoon. I don't see why I couldn't watch the, super, the old Super Friends. Wow. This is the challenge of the Super Friends. Well, it's interesting how all these characters, uh, not just Batman, but the others, as they've gone through uh, time, they change and and morph with the times. Batman, Superman, uh, then after that, Wonder Woman and other DC characters, uh, when they're first introduced, like in the 40s, you know, of course, we have to remember this is a time uh, World War II is going on. Um, People are seeking escapism, not just children, but adults too. So back during World War II, the characters are grim and gritty and they're helping out in the war effort. And in a lot of the comics, it shows some of the characters like Captain America or Batman, they're punching out Nazis and fighting against the forces of evil. Uh, In the 50s after the war, I think the public in general uh, wanted to put that behind them. And if you're a, a comic book fan, you know that there was a time when uh, comics were really kind of put under the spotlight. There was almost a crusade against comics in the 1950s, saying that they were too edgy in the 40s and too adult for kids. And that led to the publishers essentially trying to water down the characters, trying to make them more funny or friendly or more, uh, more family acceptable. The times, and I think as we went into the 60s, you know, all characters their popularity goes up and down. But at the time in the 60s, we were still coming off a time when Batman uh, was portrayed as a more lighthearted character, not so serious, and it kind of went along with the television programming of the times. Because, of course, back then we had Gilligan's Island, Not Dream of Genie, all these, uh, you know, more lighthearted shows. Then 
things started to change. Well, as we were saying, you know, all characters have phases where they're more popular or less popular and where they're portrayed in different ways. I think as we're uh, coming into the 80s, in the early 70s, some of the uh, DC creators like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, when they had runs on Batman and Detective, uh, it was very intense, very uh, much focusing on his skills as a detective, uh, big adventure. But in the early 80s, I feel like Batman is a fan. I feel like Batman maybe stalled a little. Uh, a lot of the stories at that time were um, just not as intense. And then Frank Miller comes along, I want to say it was about 1985, and did this miniseries, uh, The Dark Knight. It takes a look at a possible future for the DC Universe where Batman is an older hero and most of the heroes uh, of our time have gone by the wayside. Meanwhile, uh, Superman has become kind of like a puppet of the Reagan administration. He's, he's uh, working for the government, uh, quelling uh, uprisings around the world and you know, flying in and flying out just as quickly. Batman realizes he has to come back one more time and insert his will on the world, his vision of how things should be, because to him, the world has gotten out of hand and it's time to do a little course correction. It was intense, it was heavy, it really changed the way so many fans perceived Batman, brought him back a lot more in line with his original uh, status, you know, back in the day and continues to inspire uh, right on to movies like the uh, Batman with Robert Pattinson today. Then everything changed with one movie, Batman in 1989. I remember the biggest marketing push my young mind had ever seen. Right now at Taco Bell, you can collect free Batman cups, like a free Batmobile cup. free Batwing cup. Four cups in all, free, with free refills and free cinnamon twists every time you buy a 32-ounce drink at Taco Bell. I want you to tell all your friends about me. I'm Batman. The toys, so many iconic lines. This town needs an enema. And the soundtrack. I remember me and my best friend went to see it at a movie theater at the mall. <laughs> Remember those? So 80s. I love it. Uh, the score of that movie was fantastic. And then the opening credits with that score. And then when the camera, it pulls back and it's revealed that the whole time we were tracing the inside of the bat symbol. I remember I was like, whoa, that was so cool. Batman. 89 was the first movie that I ever bought a CD of the score. I remember I used to play it at night. I used to have these giant speakers on each side of my bed and I would turn it down really low and I would play it and fall asleep to it sometimes. And of course, I had to get that soundtrack done by the iconic musician Prince. Well, you know, as, as a little kid, uh, you know, I was born uh, in 1980, so, you know, the earliest exposure to Batman was mostly very campy stuff from uh, the 1960s show, 
uh, the old Justice League uh, uh, show, or Super Friends, I'm sorry. Very campy, cheesy stuff. So to me, the, the first uh, exposure I had to Batman as being cool was with, uh, was with the, was it 1989 Batman with Michael Keaton, which uh, I was not allowed to watch as a little kid. Uh, but, you know, you find those ways to, to watch the things your parents don't tell you you're not allowed to. And when I got those little snippets, it was just the, the coolest thing. It was just, it was so uh, amazing, that movie. And I think that's that first hook in my jaws to, to get me into Batman. So, baby girl, recently I had you watch Batman 1989 with me, right? Yeah. So what'd you think? Uh, uh, which one was um, Which one was that? I know that I watched it. Uh, it was the one, the uh, the one with the joke. Oh yeah, that was something. I mean, the bat. Okay, Batman is what start. I feel like Batman is what started um, live action superhero movies. Like that's what like started. Like I don't think we we would probably be somewhere without it. At least somewhere, but I don't think we, we would be as far as if it if it did if it never happened. I feel like it popularized the idea that um like com- making comic book movies cool. So okay, but did you like? Did I like it? I th- I don't really remember. I I think it was it was fine. You you don't remember? That was like a few weeks was, ago. That was months ago. So Batman eighty nine, I thought was amazing. The sequels after that, though. Mm, Never quite resonated with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like for, you can handle uh, uh, Batman forever because at least because um, Tim Burton started on Batman forever and then and then he left and they brought in Schumacher. So you see that campiness getting in, but it still kind of connected and flow with the first two, which were very good for their time. I think that was the first time that they tried to make a really good, serious, you know, superhero movie. You look at all the crappy ones before that with the Spider-Man, Captain America and stuff. They were really coming out of that campy age with those movies. And then Schumacher with Forever, you saw it sink. And then with Batman and Robin, I can't even sit through that whole movie. When they came out again a few years ago i was like all right i need to watch them again see if i can appreciate them and i sat through all of them i got to batman and robin i had to cut it up in like four parts i just i couldn't handle it it was so bad <laughs> so i had you watch the sequels with me um yeah. so what would you think um they i oh, i don't the worst one i can't believe that it had it had to have been a joke. The last one, the one I don't remember. Yeah, what was it called? Uh, it was Batman, Batman and, Robin. and Robin. Batman and Robin, both of them, they had to have been a joke. <laughs> it, it is just horrible. Take two of these and call me in the morning. Or, or even or even whenever Batman pulls out his credit card and it was a Batman Forever credit card, uh, just everything about it was so... Oh, the sad thing was, Arnold was perfect for that role he and he would have done so well if the writing had been better and and and, but that's true with so many comics Uh, of so often you could have something that has so much potential and the writer just fails to nail it 
Well, yeah, that was my first exposure. That didn't really hook me. Uh, when I first got into comics, I was more into Marvel. Uh, my uh, my friends that got me into comics, they were into uh, Avengers and Captain America. I gravitated toward uh, X-Men. And uh, my first comic book that I ever bought was X-Men uh, number 20. And uh, But then it was the animated series that really got made me a Batman fan. Uh, and I think so with so many people, that is considered to be the best of all Batman. You know, when you ask people who is Batman, it's Kevin Conroy, you know? And so that really, I, I think even to this day is the standard for, for Batman because especially when you contrast it to the show they did afterwards, which was the Batman. The animated series was, he was a detective, he was intelligent. Just about every episode, he was having to figure out who done it, or even if he knew who did it, how they did it and track him down. So, and, and they, there was just a very good, positive, hopeful tone toward it. And then you go to the series they did after that, The Batman, it was just, you know, kicking butt, fighting. There was no intelligence to it. And, that, and that's what I've always found to be the better Batman is whenever he is having to, to problem solve. And it's been sad how many people completely miss the detective aspect of Batman. I mean, that's what he was created to be. That's what he's all about is being a detective. Have I made you watch the animated series, Batman the Animated Series? No, but I know, uh, no, but I know about it. Okay. But we did watch a movie that was in that era, which was um, uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. So what'd you think about that one? It was good. I mean, it was, I mean, it was good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like um, I should have seen that little plot twist. I like, I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. But I wasn't surprised when it happened, but I didn't see it, even though I should have. Uh-huh, but did you like it though? I, I just said I just said that I did. In a moment, I think I figured out what changed for me with this character. And also, who is the Batman? Why does he do what he does? And why is this character so popular? Okay, so I think I narrowed down what the catalyst was that made me really start to pay attention to this character. I think I finally figured out when the shift happened. What made me stop simply viewing Batman as an okay, whatever character, to one of my favorites, one that I really respect. In 2005, a visionary filmmaker named Christopher Nolan began what would become a trilogy of Batman movies with this somewhat grounded in reality take on the character. The way he told those stories put Batman in a light that, as an oblivious, pretty much casual fan, I never really thought of. Beginning with Batman's origin, Batman Begins. Yes, I know he witnessed his parents' murder, but in any story that I'd ever seen, you'd skip ahead and Batman is already established. 
He's already a ninja, but I never saw how he became one. You have learned to bury your guilt with anger. I will teach you to confront it and to face the truth. You know how to fight six men. We can teach you how to engage 600. You know how to disappear. We can teach you to become truly invisible. Invisible? Ninja understands that invisibility is a matter of patience and agility. Always mind your surroundings. Ninjutsu employs explosive powders. As weapons? Or distractions. Theatricality and deception are powerful agents. You must become more than just a man in the mind of your opponent. He already has the Batcave, and I always wondered how the heck did he build that in secret? This must be the lowest foundation of the Southeast Wing. In the Civil War, your great-great-grandfather was involved in the Underground Railroad, secretly transporting free slaves to the North. And I suspect these cabins came in handy. And all those wonderful toys? <laughs> Who and how? We ordered the main part of this cow from Singapore via Dummy Corporation. Indeed. And then quite separately, we place an order to a Chinese company for these. Put it together ourselves. Precisely. What's that? Want the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. Keep in mind, I had never even picked up a Batman comic in my life. So this was all new to me. And apparently... I loved it. You know me, always late to the party. From then on, the bell had been rung. I started paying attention more, like with Young Justice. Batman, please, tell me you're not sending us on this joke of a wild ape chase. I never joke about the mission. Batman in animated movies like Assault on Arkham and The Dark Knight Returns Parts 1 and 2. Don't even get me started on the Zack Snyder movie, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And that's when I begin to realize that, all in all, the character Batman is a bad boy. Hey, I said I'm always late to the party. Shut up. The attacks were strategically brilliant. More than that, they were specifically targeted at our physical and psychological weaknesses. Obviously by someone who knows us very well. The plans were mine. Yours. I've carefully studied every Justice League, your past and present, and created contingency plans to neutralize you, should that ever become necessary. You've got to be kidding me with that. Neutralize, not kill. Whoever implemented my plans altered them. It's still a completely unacceptable breach of our trust. The members of the Justice League are among the most powerful and potentially dangerous people on the planet. You think one of us would go over to the other side? Or succumb to mind control? Yes, it's possible. That's why I developed plans for containing any or all members of the JLA, should the need ever arise. None of us would ever do that to you. Then you're damn fools. That was a clip from the 2012 animated movie Justice League Doom. I do agree with you about the Christopher Nolan movies. It was so well done. Uh, my favorite, you know, so many people loved the second movie where Heath Ledger played the Joker. But personally, for me, I love the first movie, Batman Begins. I think it was very well done to actually see uh, in the movie, there comes the point where Bruce Wayne is remembering 
that he left the theater when his parents were murdered and it started him on his journey to his war on crime. To actually see that on the big screen live really had a big impact on me. And I'm not embarrassed to say I had tears. I mean, it was very impactful. And at the same time, later in the movie, when Christian Bale is Bruce Wayne and Morgan Freeman is Lucius Fox, are riding together in the Tumblr, the, the version of the Batmobile that was in the movie, I mean, it just filled my heart with a lot of happiness when uh, when they're, he's revving up the car. And then um, you can see the happiness he's got. He's found a new weapon. And when so he turns to uh, Lucius Fox and says, Does it come in black? It's such a great moment, you know? It adds a lot to the um, to the experience, you know, seeing a great live adaptation like that, I, I think. So. so who is the Batman? Well, uh, Batman uh, Bruce Wayne is an only child. His parents were Thomas and Martha Wayne. Thomas was a doctor and uh, his family company uh, was Wayne Enterprises. Of course, uh, like I say, very well-to-do uh, family, leading family in Gotham City. Gotham City is essentially modeled after New York in the DC universe. And think back to the time in the 1930s, uh, New York and Chicago were the two big cities. Chicago was the newer, cleaner, bright city, so that's supposed to be Metropolis. And then um, uh, all the people that reside in Gotham are, are um, you know, essentially New Yorkers. Um, so their company and their family are at the forefront of uh, Gotham society. Alfred Pennyworth is the family butler. And after the murder of the Waynes, he becomes the ter- caretaker of Bruce Wayne and, and all of his uh, personal life, you know, uh, kind of like a guiding father figure, uh, a source of, of uh, knowledge, because in his younger um, life, he was a soldier in the British Army, a spy, a specialist. Uh, so he would have unique knowledge that would help Batman on his journey. Well, once again, you say, like, you know, he's a, he's a millionaire playboy. But, but once again, when it gets to... Uh, the voice, you know, whenever you talk to yourself in your head, you know, what do you call yourself in your head? And they've had so many story arcs where it's like the voice in his head doesn't say Bruce, it says Batman. You know, that that's, he views himself as Batman, but then, but then Bruce as the cloak that allows him to function as Batman. So, uh, and, and that's one of the things I find interesting about the character of which is the real him and which is the alter ego is flipped from the way so many have. He thinks of himself as Batman. You know, he has PTSD. He always did. He always will. He's he's forever broken good. You know, he's, he's damaged goods. So I, I think he has has accepted that and went to where, yeah, he's not hes not Bruce anymore, he's hes Batman. Yes, and the, uh, if, if you look back to Batman's origins, uh, back in the late 30s and the 1940s, he was the second big DC superhero behind Superman. And of course, Superman was created to be a uh, person who was a hero seeking social justice for the time. And it was such a huge success. Uh, uh, the creators of Superman, Siegel and Schuster, created a whole new genre, um, the superhero comic. And DC immediately knew what they had. So they tasked Batman's creator, Bob Kane, with coming up 
with the next hero. And that's how Batman began. But his earliest roots are uh, uh, fighting against crime, being a, a detective, um, seeking to right injustice. So this kind of gets back to the core idea what the character is all about. An icon. He's an icon. He is a man who did not get therapy and now goes out at night dressed up as a bat and fights alongside a little boy that he replaces every few years that also didn't get therapy. The let's keep it, keep in mind, the little boy is often an orphan who also needs therapy. But I guess beating up criminals is therapy. I don't, I don't, I don't. Wow. You know, Nick said something about attitudes like yours. What did he say? <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second. Why are so many people drawn to this character? Um, he came, first of all, I think he popularized, his character popularized, popularized the tragic backstory. I really think that the tragic hero, I really think that it started with him. Um, I don't know. Didn't he come out like in the, didn't he come out in like the 30s? Yeah, so he came out in the 30s, which, which is really convincing to me why he was so popular because you're so used to at the I feel like he was different because you're so used to heroes being lighthearted I feel like at the, around that time maybe they're used to heroes being lighthearted and then you introduce someone who looks like a villain but is actually a hero and has this tragic backstory and it's just like that's probably how it's that's I, I bet that's when it started the whole dark looking hero with a tragic sob story yeah I think that's why he's so popular. I, I once went to uh, to BotCon, and there was there was one guy who I mean I thought he was silly, but I, I think it applies in this moment. When he got to uh, um, have a question, talk to uh, the voice of Optimus Prime, he told him, you, you know, you'll just never understand what you meant to me. I grew up without a dad, never had a male figure in my life, raised by my mom and my aunt. And he's like, but but you on Saturday morning, Optimus Prime became that role model, that father figure that really set a lot of my values. And this guy was tearfully talking about how Optimus Prime was like the dad he never had. And I thought it was a joke. But, you know, I, I think all of us have that pain, have that trauma, have that somewhat emptiness inside of us on some level. And I think that's what makes those characters especially very relatable. Uh, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, they all have pain. They all have a lot of loss. And the best they can do is cope with it. They never really are able to escape it. And I think for, for many people who, who I think especially get into comic books, get into that fantasy, have some sort of loss, have some sort of not connecting with their peers or the world around them and they see that relatability and they see that that hope of being able to actually do some some uh, some good with themselves but on top of that i mean what kid doesn't love ninjas i mean ninjas are awesome and batman i mean <laughs> he's also a ninja so <laughs> it's the fantasy as well <laughs> I've always been a huge DC Comics fan. I've always felt at home reading DC Comics. Superman is like the ideal. He's a 
He's a living God. He is what we should all aspire to be. Clark Kent is who he is. Superman is the alternate identity, the secret identity that he wears and shows to the world. He tries to see the good in people. He stands for hope. He stands for justice. Batman is a different being. Bruce Wayne is the mask that he presents to the world. This person, this being, is Batman. When he was an eight-year-old boy, he left this movie theater with his parents, saw them murdered in front of his eyes, and it changed him forever. That day, uh, he became Batman. He had a long journey to take to become that hero. But I think the reason why he touches so many people and is so popular is the fact that we all want to be Superman, but again, you can't be. And yet with Batman, he's just a regular guy with no powers. He has pushed his mind and his body to the ultimate limit. He has tried to become the best human being he can be for his own agenda. But the idea that all of us want to be the best version of ourselves we can be, that's pretty appealing, I think. In other words, you know, uh, to, to become that ultimate evolution of oneself, to me, I think that's, that's pretty powerful. And then, of course, there's the idea that, you know, billionaire playboy and all those good toys and that car. I think in a lot of ways it's comparable to like Tony Stark with Iron Man has become so popular. Uh, because of Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of that character. So I think there's a good comparison there. And all the gadgets, the wonderful toys. There's sig- they're his signature. Like bat, insert whatever it is. It's this it's a signature. Plus also, I mean, what is he gonna do without them? That's a, that's like a that's like a like such a common thing that I hear. Like he just has he just has toys. And, and like well, he knows how to use them. And he's skilled and he can fight too. And he does he doesn't really use any weapon either. And a grappling hook, but like that it's not really. And his wit. His fist, his feet, and his wit. And his money. Yeah, it's it's about the car. It's all about the car. I, I isn't that something that uh, wasn't that one of the crappy shoemaker movies? It was like chick stick the car. <laughs> you know? And uh, and that was something I appreciated when uh, Arkham Knight was made, uh, even though the, the Batmobile was just too much. It was like World of Tanks. But uh, they, he, they were they, when they were trying to make Arkham Knight, they said they, they were trying to make that seamless transition pairing of, of, uh, of Batman and the Batmobile uh, because it's so key to his character. You know, and, and it makes sense. You know, think of how much Batman is influenced by uh, the Lone Ranger. You know, the Lone Ranger, where would he be without his horse? So I think you get that connection uh, between uh, between Batman and his ride are are so, so key uh, to to who he is. And, uh, you know, and it's the same as you think, you think of like Iron Man. I mean, Iron Man just, he wears all of his gadgets all around him. And, instead of, and ga- Batman just wears his gadgets on a belt instead of on a suit. <laughs> it's definitely key to, uh, to uh, surviving without superpowers. That was what was really cool about the Nolan films. You know, uh, as you're watching the movie, the, the background is you see how Alfred uh, uh, helped him plan and, and how they built the Batsuit. Then later in other movies, how, like in the second movie, they figured out a way to extract 
uh, a human being out of a building uh, with a moving airplane. I mean, just he finds a way. No matter what happens, he figures out how to get the job done. And he does have the best toys. Uh, and, and like I say, bat car, bat copter, bat cycle, bat boat. Must be nice. <laughs> Grappling gun. And the batarangs. Oh, batarang, yes. Batarang, for sure. You leave behind your um, your mark and, and instill that fear in the criminal element, you know? With all the popularity comes those who do not agree, who think the character is overrated or played out. Or nine times out of ten, that's coming from a Superman fanboy. Like nine times out of ten, either you're coming from a Marvel fanboy or a Superman fanboy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's still it's still a criticism. Like you could live, you any popular character is going to be accused of being overrated. Like Spider Man, if if I said that he was overrated, I'd get crucified. So that's just that's just a neutral opinion. I'm not saying he's overrated. I'm just saying that it's like saying that, you know. I, mean, I, I, I didn't say he was overrated, but I mean, every popular—he's he's a popular character who dresses up in a bat suit. Dressed like a bat. I dig it. One of the things that really I, I get upset with uh, so many people who just see Batman as just some spoiled, rotten kid who's trying to uh, beat the pain away, to you know, punch his pain into someone else's faces. But, you know, he's not Frank Castle. He's not the Punisher. Uh, he's not out on this constantly seeking revenge. They're, they're different characters, uh, very much shown because of even how Batman has restraints that the, the Punisher doesn't have. But, you know, he's very motivated to try to not inflict his pain on others but trying to prevent others from having his pain. Oh, no, no, I, it's not a spoiled brat. Didn't he work for what he had? I mean, he was born into a rich family, but I mean, he worked like harder to obtain more things. I mean, he's not a spoiled brat. Damien is is the brat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I really appreciate about Batman is really, he is a, he's a very compassionate person. And in many ways, he, he is the heart of the Justice League. The boy needs you. No, he needs you. He needs Red. I'm just a constant reminder of what he's not. Sorry, Clark, but you're dead wrong. Look, I know he troubles you, but he's here. You have to get over the how and why. Trust me on this. This boy needs his father. You know, you, you see, so many beautiful moments in in comics and different media where he connects with a grieving person where you know he'll actually you know you know try to just soothe someone or hug someone who is is dealing with death he feels their pain he tries to comfort them he goes out fighting to try to protect so that other children hopefully don't have to go through what he went through And then when you look at the ones that he takes on in trains are ones who were not able to be saved, were not able to be protected. They've become orphans. They've already gotten to be the, you know, the PTSD damaged goods that that he is. And so at that point, he tries to help them cope by teaching them how he coped, by teaching them to, to fight back because that's how he had dealt with his pain. And, and he helps others. 
And it's beautiful whenever he does that because you think of how many of those ones that he's helped. Uh, you know, uh, Dick Grayson is a good example. Uh, one comic book was showing Dick Grayson was being groomed to be a talent, uh, to be a, you know, a, a hitman for the Court of Owls. Bruce stepping in to help him prevented him from becoming a villain. So I think it's when you see the ones he takes on, he trains, he's doing them good because he's actually preventing them from, from the course of becoming a very bad person. Are you a comic book reader? Maybe you're like me and feel like with more than 80 years of comics and stories, and I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I just, I can't, I'm, I shut down, no. <laughs> so I asked the experts two questions. First, what is a must-read story? One that's already completed, you can just buy the volume and binge read. What is a must-read Batman story? Well, the beautiful thing about comics is there are so many different stories over the years showing different versions of Batman. We've spoken a little bit about how the Joker murdered uh, Jason Todd uh, back in the 80s. That was a story called Death in the Family, and that's definitely a must-read. Another one that comes to mind is a story called The Long Halloween. It's a story that takes place over a year's time. And it's early in Batman's career where he's uh, working together with Commissioner Gordon and uh, young Harvey Dent before he becomes Two-Face. More modern stories, um, we've got uh, Hush, which was a comic that came out over a year's time and introduced a brand new villain, but someone who has ties to Bruce Wayne personally and from his youth. And then, of course, there are events uh, and stories that uh, are must-read, like back in the day, like we spoke about earlier, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, and then its sequels. And, of course, uh, Alan Moore, the gentleman who wrote Watchmen and V for Vendetta, he did a story called The Killing Joke that um, essentially changes Barbara Gordon, Batgirl's life forever, just a huge moment in the Batman mythos. So there are definitely plenty of great stories out there and, and a long list of, of uh, stories that could be considered must-read. Uh, long Halloween is probably the best Batman story arc that I've seen. Jeff Loeb is an amazing writer, and although I really hate Tim Sale's art, uh, it didn't matter to me because uh, I love Jeff Loeb so much. So anything he's written is good. Um, uh, he also did Hush. But yeah, Long Halloween, absolutely amazing. Uh, especially now as uh, you know, the, the Court of Owls are kind of becoming a thing with some upcoming Batman um, stuff that, that'll, that'll be happening. I'd say if someone hasn't read that first New 52 uh, Court of Owls arc that Scott Snyder did, I think it's maybe 12 issues um, there. That was brilliant. Really beautiful writing, great art uh, in that uh, that first New 52 Court of Owls. But if you read that, you also have to read the first Nightwing uh, story arc in the New 52 because um, it also had to do with Court of Owls and those two complemented each other like peanut butter and jelly and uh, beautiful arcs all together. 
Uh, I think for, for anyone that's a Batman fan, already knows Batman and is looking just to read something uh, different or unique, uh, Earth One by Geoff Johns, his Batman arc, I think it has two volumes out, was amazing. He does some really good flips on some characters uh, because it's in an alternate universe. He can do whatever he wanted and he handled it brilliantly. Um, Flashpoint, another really good one. Uh, it was great because of you really get to see that relationship between Bruce and his father Thomas where Bruce is dead and Thomas becomes Batman. And you really get to see how Thomas would have done this completely different than Bruce. And, but you still see that father-son love for each other. And the last scene in Flashpoint was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful Batman uh, moment, if, uh, if someone hasn't seen it. Now, probably one of the best forgotten gems that a lot of people don't know about is Gotham Central, uh, which had four volumes, and it follows what it's like to be a cop in Gotham City, in the day shift and the night shift. And Batman makes some appearances, but it's pretty much just focused on the Gotham cops and what it's like being in this city with these horrible, uh, overpowered, hyper-violent vi uh, villains and then cleaning up after what Batman does. Uh, it was one of the best, best Batman Gotham story arcs ever. And I would recommend anyone who loves just a good human story, detective story to read Gotham Central. Awesome. Okay. And what is a good place to jump in right now? Well, the great thing about comics is uh, it's kind of like a story superhighway. It's always going forward. And they're always kind of like on ramps, places to jump in where you can start with a new story arc or with new creators. Uh, it just so happens that in October of 2020, issue 100 of the current run of Batman will be coming out. And that's actually the culmination of a story that's going on right now called the Joker War. So anyone who is near a local comic shop or anyone who can, of course, do mail order, you could order some of the recent issues of Batman, which would be issues 95 going forward to 100. And that is the Joker War. And then if you jump in at issue 100 in October, you'll be able to go forward. The current writer has said that going forward from 100, there will be the introduction of a ton of new villains, some new uh, directions for the Bat family and for Batman himself. And I think that would really be a great jumping in point, aiming for that issue 100 and then going forward. And that's right now, right here, just to let you know. That issue 100, uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, it's been revealed by the writer that issue 100 will be the first appearance of a major new villain called Ghostmaker. So that, that has a lot of potential there. Love this character or hate him, there's no denying that Batman is a pop culture icon. I know what you're thinking. We didn't even talk about all the characters in Batman's universe. We didn't talk about the villains. We didn't even talk about the family. Oh, we will, but that's for part two. If you wanna give it a shot and jump in right now on some actual comic books, and you wanna get issues 95 to 100, which by the time most of you listen to this will already be available, hit up Greg and the absolutely fantastic staff at Soundwave Comics. 
They know we all want to stay safe. So Greg says, Well, at our shop, we do have uh, social distancing measures in place. We are open to the public Wednesdays through Sundays. Here at our store, we also offer a contact-free curbside delivery. We do mail order. And then a lot of stores like my store, uh, we actually do subscriptions and we do mail order. We have customers that live in other parts of the country. And uh, roughly once a month, we will take whatever comics they subscribe to, box them up and mail them to them. So there are definitely uh, ways to get your comics. Yes, please support your local comic book shops like Soundwave Comics. A huge thank you to the Super Friends for their insights. Greg, Nick, and Baby Girl, I love you. Uh, can I have a, can I, can I hug you? Um, no. <laughs> so then a, a, a kiss is out of the question. Huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can find Soundwave Comics all over social media and at soundwavecomics.com. So what do you think? Do you agree? Disagree? And I'd love to know. My email is studio at sonicembassy.com. And you can also find the Sonic Embassy on Twitter, Facebook, and IG. Our website, sonicembassy.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to tell all your friends about me. So they can listen too. And if you hated it, spread the word. Yo, this podcast sucks. Check it out. (laughs) If you have an idea what you think would make a great episode, please, by all means, let me know. Thank you so much for listening. I love you, and I hope you'll listen more soon. And like Batman, I think instead of just saying bye, I'll just disappear when you turn your head. Hey, what's that over there? Sonic Embassy.